0: Do you wish there was a life insurance company that understood your unique needs as a ketogenic dieter? Well, let me introduce you to Health IQ. Go to healthiq.com slash low carb. Use the promo code low carb when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Health IQ uses science and data to secure the lowest rates on life insurance for health conscious people, including runners, cyclists, strength trainers and yes, even you, the ketogenic dieter. 56% of Health IQ customers will save between 4 and 33% on life insurance, and these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. Go to healthiq.com slash lowcarb and be sure to mention the promo code lowcarb when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Health IQ. Today's featured audio is from the 2017 Low Carb Cruise. Go to LowCarbCruiseInfo.com to join us in 2018 for two exciting cruises, the 11th Annual Low Carb Cruise coming May 20th through the 27th, and then a bonus Keto 101 Cruise coming September 23rd through the 30th, 2018. Get full details at LowCarbCruiseInfo.com. Coming up in episode 1348, a Q&A workshop with Dr. Stephen Finney.
1: Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're
2: listening to the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many
0: lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This
2: is the longest running
0: health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international Best-selling author, you're like the LL Cool J of Podcast, Jimmy Moore.
3: The whole point of this session is for me not to talk at you, but for you to ask questions of me. Uh, and any question that you're not embarrassed to ask is open season. It doesn't have to be about ketogenic diets. Um, uh, I uh, have two two important, or let's say two uh, significant degrees. I got an MD degree and that means that I spent 4 years in medical school where they spent the whole time training me to say whatever a person asked I know the answer because you want your doctor to be confident that he or she can treat your problem so you want your doctor to say yes I know I can solve your problem and then I went them to, to to get a PhD and they spent another 4 years teaching me to say I don't know
2: because <laughs> if, if you don't if you can't
3: say you don't know you cannot learn anything because if everything you know is true, there's no reason to learn. Um, so I uh, have will tell you I I will not be shy to say I don't know if I don't know the answer. Uh, because oftentimes the questions people ask me or the paradoxes that they hit me with, like, yeah, you say that's true, but I did something that's completely in, in conc- contradicts what you said. And that's how I learn, and that's how we push out the the edges of research. And I've said quite honestly to a number of people uh, at this meeting that some of my best teachers are are patients and students who ask me the tough questions I can't answer. So no questions off the table. Um, The things that I'm ready to, I've got a few slides teed up because people ask about, so how do you follow a ketogenic diet long term? I know how to do it short term and lose some weight, but how do you, you know, how do you craft a maintenance diet that is, has adequate nutrition to maintain your well-being and function and still stay in nutritional ketosis. Uh, there are always questions about sodium. Uh, how much How much is enough? Is there too much? Uh, and it's also one question about sodium is, is it's really good if you have a little bit of laryngitis.
2: <laughs>
3: so I have some of my bullion here. I carry it with me wherever I travel because you can't get on an airplane or a cruise ship and ask for a bullion cube. <clears throat> At home, I make. I try to make my own uh, homemade broth. Um uh, which is far better than this, but you know, this keeps me upright, functioning. Um, so, and then the other question that people oftentimes ask is about the types of fat. Like, why do we say there's good fats and bad fats, and why do those differ from the advice we've gotten in terms of what's healthy and unhealthy, healthy fat over the last few decades? Uh, i trying to think what else. Uh, oh, yeah, and uh, there's this whole emerging field of of Uh, uh, a ketogenic diet for longevity. Uh, And if you haven't heard about it, you will because this is a rapidly burgeoning science-based understanding um, around uh, the effects of uh, nutritional ketosis in reducing what we call oxidative stress. And you may have heard of free radicals or or things that the body generates that cause aging. Uh, And uh, so... There is a quenching effect of of nutritional ketosis on oxygen-free radicals in animal models now significantly extends uh, age and reduces age-related dysfunction, Um, and we could talk about that if you want to. Um, But we can talk about anything you want to talk about. And the other thing I'll try to do is I'll try to mix backs and front rows so you don't have to sit in the front in order to get your questions addressed. So to start off, the gentleman here in row four. And say, if you can, loud enough so people can hear
2: Okay. You, you just mentioned uh, keto for longevity. And up until a few years ago, the only really clearly demonstrated extension to lifespan was caloric restriction, underfeeding. So how does keto compare to that?
3: Uh, good question. So if you underfeed animals, uh, whether they are... Um, uh, tiny nematode worms that, that live for 20 days or mice uh, you can extend lifespan for anywhere in the range of 20 to 30% and the action is through a a, um, um, a pathway called mTOR um, and uh, it's a mitochondrial target of rapamycin uh, that's what mTOR stands for and I'm not going to ask you to write that down later um, but it's It's been well shown in in mice and in nematodes and fruit flies. Um, We haven't been able to do that test in humans because it would take 120 years, we think, to run that kind of (laughs) study of humans, starting from infants in utero or shortly after birth. Well, there have been people who are experimenting
2: on themselves.
3: Yes. So there's a whole group, um, a life extension uh, by restriction people. I think the guy who leads is a guy named Dr. Ward Wolford. Wolford. Uh, and, um, Jeff Volek, my co and, and, uh, collab scientific collaborator went and gave a talk to this group of people. And he came back and said, I've never seen a bunch of malnourished, so malnourished people because they're trying to restrict themselves to 60% of usual caloric intake. Um, and, uh. The thing that characterizes them is they're hungry all the time and they're always talking about food, <laughs> but they're, you know, this is a mission for them, and I don't want to make light of it, and it may, in fact, be be valid, and we know of cultures of people who lived in very challenging environments <coughs> for whom food was not always consistently available, and some of them, you know, live to extended age. Um... So, you know, it, it's a valid hypothesis, but one possibility is that if you eat 60% of what you normally eat, you're eating 60% of the normal amount of carbohydrates you used to eat. <laughs> and it may actually not be energy restriction, but carbohydrate restriction. And that's part of the, the hypothesis that's now being addressed. Uh, and I'm getting a little bit ahead because I know that there are two papers that will be published shortly uh, by very credible research teams. And in one of the cases, I've seen the paper, I've seen the data, and I can't uh, show you anything that that isn't already in the, quote, public domain, um, but one of the groups did publish or did present their data at a meeting with a, a poster, and I actually have a copy of the poster, and I can explain some of that data if you're curious, um, but uh, you know, my personal passion is to go not for normal people, go normal people who are probably going to live to be seventy or eighty years any old anyway, but deal with people who have developed type two diabetes in their in the middle years of life, and we know that they probably the, the mortality from that disease begins fifteen to twenty years after diagnosis. <laughs> um, and you know, I so you know, in terms of the biggest impact on the most people that I can have in my lifetime, and know that I'm kind of achieving a result, it would be in people who have. Diseases such as metabolic syndrome, aka pre-diabetes, diabetes, diabetes, um, uh, and uh, maybe some other uh, diseases that are also associated with insulin resistance, Uh, and that's my focus. But that doesn't have to be our focus in terms of discussion. Uh, Come to the front, none of you. Yeah, um, I'm just wondering, you know, with this longevity thing, and then we're here. Monitoring people, looking at what their values are consistently, and we have a weekly record of when I had people coming into a clinic weekly for, for assessment and, and, and support. Um, and uh, some people never get above 1, even though they're following, you know, ostensibly following a, a diet that's in the range of uh, 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrate per day. And other people get up in the range of 3. When people get to 4 or 5, which some people do, particularly after vigorous endurance exercise, um, it, that doesn't seem to help a whole lot more. It doesn't seem to have any harm. So we kind of Jeff and I kind of empirically picked the point five on one side to three on the other end. But the, we also know that people can do on, on total fasting will consistently have values in the four to seven, four and a half to set four to seven range, uh, and it's not life threatening. They're not in acidosis. Uh, so it's not that higher values, you know, moderately higher values than that are harmful, but it's very hard to get those consistently higher values while eating enough protein to maintain the body mass. Because the goal is to maintain lead body mass. You know, it's, you know, know, it's The more lean tissue you have, the higher your metabolic rate, the greater your strength, the more vigor you have, and the less fatigue you get doing your normal daily activities. Um, so, you know, we picked that 0.5 to 3 range based on clinical observation. What we now... Have been taught by this new class of drugs called SGLT2 inhibitors, which are drugs that have been developed to treat diabetes, um, which lower blood sugar in a very simple way. They make your kidneys dump sugar. So when the blood circulates through the kidneys, normally your kidneys filter out, uh, you know, lose the bad stuff and pull back the things the body wants to keep. And blood sugar is an energy source, so normally the kidney would retain it. And what these drugs do is prevent, even at normal blood sugar levels or slightly elevated blood sugar levels, to make the kidneys dump the sugar. And so you're basically peeing out sugar, which lowers your blood sugar level. It's a great idea, except that the people who do that um, uh, have more uh, urinary tract infections because the sugar encourages bacterial growth, and so people get urinary tract infections and vaginitis in in the case of women and so on, uh, which, you know, needs to be treated. But it helps manage, maintain blood sugar levels. And uh, but the, the fascinating thing is that people who take these this class of medications, even when they eat a lot of carbs, their ketones rise from the Fed, the carb fed level of 0.1 or less up in the 0.2, 0.3 range. So it's a, it's not up into the nutritional ketosis range. And we always thought that that was income, you know, even if somebody did it, and if you go on Weight Watchers, you're gonna be in the point two, point three range. If you're eating 100 to 120 grams of carbs per minimum that Weight Watchers advises people to eat, and we always thought that was inconsequential, but in doing studies with these drugs to look at at safety of them, there has been there have been three studies published just recently that show a marked reduction in in the first year in, in heart attack risk, and the people who are who are uh, experts in how these drugs work are now saying that they think that's the a beneficial effect of the ketones, uh, and they're calling 0.3... These are you know, and these are endocrinologists and and, and diabetologists. They're calling 0.3 millimolar ketones hyperketonemia, <laughs> and we're going hyper what?
2: <laughs>
3: but it may be that even at that low level, there's a cardiac benefit. Um, so we're going to have to kind of revise our thinking around here, but I'm still a strong advocate of if you want to get there, get there by carb restriction. Why would you take a drug that costs a whole lot of money and you know, it causes you to have urinary tract infections and potentially other complications as well? But, but I don't want to do, digress too far into that. Can I follow up just real quick one? Okay, that. very quick. Is it possible, then, given what you just stated, that someone could not achieve a 4. 0.5 or 4, but still, for their individuality, be considered in nutritional care? Or is it basically a black and white binary? You either are or not. It's Since I already admitted it was arbitrary, I have no reason to say that. <laughs> that but we might call it, I mean, and, and we monitor, we're currently running a study of 500 people, uh, 400 of whom are uh, uh, following it, uh, trying to follow a ketogenic diet, most of whom have type 2 diabetes insulin resistance, which makes it hard to get ketones up. And when they get above 0.3, we tell them, that's a good start. We don't say yeah, you only 0.3. Come on, Shh, get, get do it. Uh, so 0.3 is a good start. 0.5 is good, and one uh, uh, one is better. But we don't say that 1.5 or two or three because you know you get these guys who are competing. You and I would probably, you know, you know, I got 2.8. What have you got? Yeah. The, the, the more reason' better, but the, you know where the threshold of benefit begins is. It's probably going to be redefined. I've noticed over the last couple of months, six months, I've been on a well, for sixty four pounds When we give most people in nutritional ketosis five grams of sodium a day, a whole bunch of things that people assume is or are side effects of being in ketosis go away.
1: Yeah.
3: It's the the, the the salt intake here resolves most of the early adaptation symptoms, people say it's so hard for weeks, I just couldn't do anything at all. I was dragging my tail in the sand. this They weren't having enough salt. Yes, people are limited in their performance for the first week or two, but that's when we test them on the treadmill. So unless they're doing a, a physical labor job, most people don't have, have any significant impact on their normal lifestyle when they go through the adaptation. And when they get to, to long-term maintenance and maintain this level of intake, uh, it, it, it results in uh, uh, avoidance of most of the common side effects that people experience. What type of
2: salt so do you recommend?
3: The question is, what kind of salt do I recommend? Yeah.
2: Any kind of spruce,
3: like, salt or salt? I, I don't have any objective reason to recommend one source over another. Um, when I go go down the aisle at my Costco, just past the the... the the olive oil, the extra virgin and the, the, and the, the bulk light olive oil on the left hand side, they have like 14 different varieties of peppers, there's tree pepper, and And then there's the pink sea salt, and white Mediterranean salt, and I have the white Mediterranean and I have the pink sea salt, and I like the pink because I grind it with spices in my mortar and pestle and it helps grind up some of the more resistant, but if people... What was somebody saying today, the blue cylinder with the woman with the umbrella in it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if that's the salt you have, it's the salt you should consume. Um, and I buy standard bouillon cubes um, and carry them with me, uh, you know, even though that uh, you know if the, the chicken bouillon has nothing that ever came from a chicken in it.
2: <laughs> um, but it's,
3: it's a way of getting in the salt when I need it, but I'd much rather make my own broth at home. <laughs>
2: I have a 30-year history of hypertension. I also have the same length of time with my cortisol levels upside down. I'm high at night, low in the morning. I can't sleep all night. I'm tired all day. So are you suggesting that
0: rather than being on a
2: salt-restricted diet, which I've been on for half my life, that I should actually be increasing myself to correct the cortisol?
3: So we have a 1 in a 100 person in the front row
2: <laughs>
3: who's the opposite of... of but that—that's you. It's a hundred percent of you. Uh, and I a—I I can't give medical advice because I'm not licensed to practice in Mid Pacific. <laughs> um, but I'm not dodging. Um, uh, it's something that that you really need to give some careful consideration to. It depends on how, because you say you have a lifetime history or a thirty-year history of hypertension, and I don't know how severe it is. And I mean, we're not going to discuss that right now. Um, but. Uh, are you on? Are you following a ketogenic diet?
2: we just started within the last seven months.
3: Okay, because for many people, who have even with a long-standing history of hypertension, it gets quite a bit better um, uh, when they're in nutritional ketosis. <laughs> in which case, um, you know, if you're off your, if you're not taking a diuretic medication and off your uh, most of your antihypertensive medication, and your blood pressure is reasonably normal, uh, then you might begin to gently experiment. With creeping from, you, know, you probably would recommend to stay under two grams. Or less. Mm-hmm. Or, less. or less? Or less, yeah. And
2: would you, you rather you? have me on none? I, mean,
3: I take little 25 mm-hmm. milligrams once a day. Exactly. Yeah. So, the, you know, you, you, uh, the, the comment was that uh, the physician would rather have you on none. That would be fatal. <laughs> Sodium is absolutely required for life. If you deprive people of sodium, totally deprive, deprive them of sodium uh, for three weeks, it will be life-threatening. Um, we need it. The problem is finding the right balance between yeah. enough and too much. Yeah. Um, uh, but realize you're an unusual case, and most physicians only have 20 minutes to deal with you in a visit, uh-huh. uh, and I've already spent half of my 20 minutes talking to you about this. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's a challenge. and. Um, uh, I wish I I knew someone who was a specialist in low-carb nutrition and hypertension I could send you to. I'm I'm working on a guy in Colorado right now, but I really haven't quite got him on board yet. Uh, Anyway, excellent question. I wish I had a better answer.
0: Hey guys, I'm here today with the lovely, the talented, the nutritional therapy practitioner, her name, Christine Moore. What's up, Christine? Hey, hey. And today I wanted to bring you on because you learned all about healthy fats in your NTA training. And so today we have one such healthy fat. It's the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. Can you tell people why olive oil is such a healthy fat?
1: Fats in general are healthy because we need them for healthy cell membranes to help absorb the fat soluble vitamins A D E and K it's needed to help keep bile flowing so it doesn't get stagnant and cause stones and it's needed for a healthy immune system if we have a healthy balance of fats we don't have an improper immune response
0: <laughs> okay that's all the boring stuff but it also makes food taste amazing it does. Right?
1: it does make food taste very amazing
0: and what if you got a really quality bottle of olive oil that's worth a about 40 bucks for $1. Would that be a cool deal?
1: That would be amazing.
0: Well, that's what you get at jimmyoliveoil.com. You get a $39 bottle for a buck. So go there now. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. Do you wish there was a life insurance company that understood your unique needs as a ketogenic dieter? Well, let me introduce you to Health IQ. Go to healthiq.com slash low carb. Use the promo code low carb When you talk to a Health IQ agent, Health IQ uses science and data to secure the lowest rates on life insurance for health-conscious people, including runners, cyclists, strength trainers, and yes, even you, the ketogenic dieter. 56% of Health IQ customers will save between 4% and 33% on life insurance, and these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. Just like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. Go to healthiq.com slash carb and be sure to mention the promo code lowcarb when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Health IQ,
1: Hi, I'm Christine Moore, Jimmy Moore's wife, and I'm here today to tell you about the Nutritional Therapy Association and why I decided to go through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. I figured, well, this will be a great opportunity for me to maybe possibly be able to help people with their nutritional issues and anything that they might be going through just the thought of me having to learn stuff again it was intimidating I didn't think that I would be able to do it Didn't think that I would be able to retain the stuff that I was learning and I would have a hard time on the quizzes and the tests the NTA is looking for more keto practitioners they believe in real food they do not frown upon good healthy fats they believe that they should be a healthy part of the diet the most gratifying part of the program has been getting to meet a bunch of like-minded people who are interested in nutrition. A lot of us came into this program with health issues of our own that we wanted to try to fix. The material that we're learning is just absolutely incredible. I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but going through this program, there's so much more to it than what I actually knew. We learn about anatomy and physiology, so we learn about how things work in the body. how vitamins and minerals affect the body, so it's just been a great program. Anyone should do this program. It's a nine-month program that can pretty much fit into anybody's schedule. I mean, we have people that have children, full-time jobs going through this, so it's very flexible with your schedule. If you're thinking about it and not sure, I would highly recommend you go through it. Join the Nutritional Therapy Association today at nutritionaltherapy.com. I
2: am you want to be severely uh, high insulin resistant, okay? Uh-huh. So even though I'm on a, a very strict ketogenic diet, the weight's not going off. And I've talked to a lot of people here, and what I'm getting is that I need to just forget about weight loss and just work on being healthy. But when my side, you don't want to do that. So when when you describe a well-formulated ketogenic diet, my well
3: formulated is different from everybody else's. Can you tell me how? What? What is it that I'm not doing in this well formulated? Oh. Uh, <laughs> to answer that question, again, this is this is this is. I'm just being direct and honest. To answer that question, Jeff Bullock and I wrote a book. Okay. Um, okay. And um, one of the things that that. We recommend, um, and, and it really, we really developed this capability. We discovered this capability as measuring blood ketones, um, you know, with a finger stick ketone assessment. Um, after we wrote the, the art and science of low carb living, we mentioned it in the in this, the one the book came out the next year, our performance book. Um, but measuring ketones is actually a very good guide to. Um, uh, uh, Dietary intake. If you, even if you're restricting carbs, you may be overeating protein because we're so afraid of eating fat that in order to um, you know not eat carbs but be satiated, we we humans uh, educated humans tend to the more educated you are, the more you tend to eat protein rather than fat, and keeping protein in moderation in order to get your ketones at least into the .5 millimolar range. is really the first step to achieving the benefits of ketones and achieving the metabolic healing that you're talking about. So in the program that Jeff and I have developed, and we're building a business around it right now and and being scientists, we're going to prove that it works before we go out and promote it. But in that program, we tell people, this is not a weight loss program. This is a metabolic health program. And if you get your metabolic health um, back, weight loss usually occurs after that. And it may not be fast, but because you're not doing something radical, you're not tightly restricting calories, you know, you're not being forcing yourself to be hungry all the time, uh, this is something that people have the likelihood of sustaining not just for a few months or a few years, but for decades. So you want to so do things that don't metabolically impair you. And by the way, severe caloric restriction does. Um, eat to satiety, but keep your protein... If you're limiting carbs or strictly already, keep your protein down to the level where you can get your ketones at least above that, up to that 0.5 millimolar pressure. So, measuring ketones is probably a place to start if you're not already doing that. The urine ketones are useful because the kidneys start out by over you know, dumping ketones, so it looks like you get a whole lot of them, and then a few weeks later the kidney says, oops, they shouldn't be wasting that stuff and they start disappearing, and by a month or two, no ketones in your urine, but you have lots of them in your blood, which means the urine test really is not uh, not useful.
2: They say moderation of protein. I've heard several different numbers for how much protein, and I believe you even mentioned some in the Q&A session, and I don't remember exactly what range you were talking about, but something compared to a reference weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, what, what is the reference weight, or like, okay, I'm six feet tall. Do I have a particular reference weight?
3: Do I say as if I was a BMI of 24 or something? So a, a, a male six feet tall with a meat, you know, the so-called in the old-fashioned and completely incorrect ideal body weight tables. You know, they weren't the, the, They they were misused to tell people if you're that tall, this is how much you should weigh. Uh, so it's not useful for telling people what they should weigh, but a a it does define medium frame height uh, values will define roughly what your daily protein should be. And for a six foot tall male, um, uh, that would be uh, probably seventy seven kilos. So you multiply that times one point five, so it's a little under one hundred and twenty grams of protein per day. Now. Typically, meat, poultry, fish uh, contains seven grams per ounce. So you divide that roughly 110, 120 by seven. You know, I hope I'm not losing you, but we're in the range of around eighteen grams, seventeen or eighteen grams. I'm sorry, seventeen or eighteen ounces of protein per day. Interesting. Total. You know,
2: are you familiar with the uh, six-week plan or six-week plan? Cure for the Middle-Aged middle.
3: Yeah, that's Mike Mike and Mary Dan Eves. Yeah. And their, their books were called Protein Power.
2: Yeah. The, the protein, protein
3: Power and, books. And, and The first
2: thing, for the way I interviewed guidelines, I was eating about 240 grams of protein a day, which is roughly
3: twice the number that you there. That's crazy. So I doing pretty well on that. Mm-hmm. Um... People will tolerate. Um, so what I was reckon what I'm saying is, <laughs> Jeff, in my, if we're looking at the amount of protein necessary to maintain lean body mass, uh, that's about one and a half grams of protein per kilo. For people who are vigorous athletes, they may need may need to go high as high as one point eight grams per kilo. But no one's ever shown that there's benefit to going higher than that. But you can tolerate three grams per kilo.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Your dog can can tolerate 5 grams per kilo, but humans can't because they'll, they'll, they'll go higher than the level you are now it'll make you sick. So when Mike and Mary Dan, and they're friends of ours, when they wrote that and, and published those books, and that's not 10, 15 years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, they were still dealing with this concern about fat intake being dangerous. And so the way to have people eat low carb and not have force them to eat too much fat was to let them eat more protein. Uh, and I think the, they've come around on this. Um, yeah, but I, I never try to ask my colleagues to to uh, admit that you know that the, maybe they weren't quite right. And well, somebody's going to ask me to do that five, you know, in the next year or two, and I'm going to have to to give ground as well because half of what we know is wrong. By the way.
2: Uh, we it it. Oh, we
3: just exactly. don't wish to a chat. That does suggest an N equals
2: one experiment that I'm going to try next week when I get back home. I'm going to take it down to 120 and see if that works better.
3: Mm-hmm. But when you do that, you need to purposefully add enough fat to, to, to oh, achieve the, sa- the same degree of satiety. How would you add fat to a diet? The question was, how do I add fat to a diet? Uh, let me count the ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people say, well, eggs, cheese, bacon... But all those carry quite a bit of protein with them. Um, and so, uh, in, in my, my target is getting about 75 to 80% of my daily energy is fat. And to do that, I mean here I go, when I go through the, the buffet up on the Ilona uh, deck, I stop by and grab two pats of butter and put it on food. But I also carry my own little bottle of, of olive oil. Um, and. You know, I squirt some of that, so I get the they have this small but very very nice uh, Caesar salad. You know, and then I throw away the croutons, and I squirt about a tablespoon of olive oil onto the salad. Uh, and you know, I don't have, any, don't have any bread to mop it up, with, so I use a spoon to get the rest of the cheese and stuff out. Um, uh, but at home, I make salad dressings that uh, are rich in fat and store them in the fridge. I make them in a batch of, you know, that, where it's like 10 servings uh, and then use them over the course of a week or two. Because when you go to the grocery store and buy salad dressings, if they're not low fat, they have some fat in them, but the most of the fat that's in them is soybean oil, which is the wrong kind of fat.
2: Right. diesel
3: fuel.
2: Um,
3: what do you mix with your olive oil for your dressing? What do I mix with my olive oil, I Well, I could tell you about the, the most unctuous one I make, which is honey basil dressing with real honey, but it's only three grams of carbs per three tablespoon serving, which fits in my daily 50, for me, my, my tolerance is 50 grams. Um, but it's three-fourths olive oil by volume. One quarter of the volume is a mixture of lemon juice and sugar-free rice vinegar. If you use all lemon juice, it's a little too lemony. And then it's uh, uh, in that goes one tablespoon of of high quality honey. Um, And you want it to be a little bit sweeter than from that. So I added two tablespoons of xylitol. And horror of horrors, it's a sugar alcohol, but it's actually one that the human body metabolizes reasonably well uh, xylitol. And then I put in uh, 10 large basil leaves or 20 small basil leaves and about two tablespoons full, full of fresh oregano. Uh, and I put in 10, <coughs> excuse me. 10 cloves of roasted garlic. Now, if you've, I don't know if you ever had roasted garlic where you cut the tops off the yeah. garlic yeah. bulb and you put yeah. a little olive on top and you put it in a, <coughs> a close, some kind of container in the oven and roast it at 375 for 45 minutes and the garlic starts to soften and you sque- start squeezing them out and you can just spread that on chicken or on fish. It's just a wonderful condiment to what a food. But it's a good emulsifier. When you so you mix oil and and water together and blend it, you know I use a stick blender with with um, the, the ten cloves of roasted garlic in there, and you get this. It's a very nice thick uh, mixture that doesn't separate for days at a time. Why
2: xylitol instead <clears> of?
3: <throat> Why xylitol rather than erythritol? I get more GI effects from erythritol than xylitol. So my tolerance for xylitol is in the range of 30 or 40 grams per day, but I, don't eat, I rarely eat that much. But I like xylitol as a sweetener in in uh, dressings and homemade ice cream. Um, but you know, at most, I think I probably eat a tablespoon or so of xylitol per day. Um, uh, and it actually has calories in it. And you know, one of my problems is I'm trying to maintain my weight. You know? I don't want to you know, waste away in this beer. Hannah, you had a question. Yes. Yeah. Um, let me just ask a very recent question here. Um, what are your thoughts on type 1 diabetes, nutritional ketosis, and the risk for uh, ketoacidosis? Uh, so the question was type 1 diabetes, um, keep, you know, a ketogenic diet, and the risk of ketoacidosis. <coughs> it's definitely a risk for ketoacidosis, as it is for a type 1 diabetic on any diet. The problem is that we want them to have some ketones but not too much, and that means carefully monitoring ketones with the, the finger stick device, which is uh, an expense and it's, you know, you get used to the little lancet, you know, and it, it, it doesn't bother, but it still is a bother. Uh, and and uh, we're in a phase right now where there are a number of very clever and motivated people working on, b- coming up with very accurate measures of breath acetone. So the, the ketonics meter right now is pretty good, but it's a single sensor meter and is confused by uh, uh, hydrogen. If you drink milk and you're lactose intolerant, you'll have it'll make the ketonics meter go up because of hydrogen production. Um, methane from, from fiber digestion, you eat a high fiber diet and mess up your, your, that, that meter. So people are working on multi-sensor meters to cancel out the other confounding variables. And hopefully we'll have a breath meter which uh, uh, is accurate and doesn't have consumables. That is, you don't pay $2 a strip or whatever it is for the ketone test. And who knows, the one day we're going to have a a wearable device where your iPhone will tell you what your ketones have been every 10 minutes for the last 10 days or whatever. Um, uh, And and I think that's, that's not pie in the sky, that's pie pretty close to the horizon right now. Uh, and should we be pie on our plate pretty soon? That's a terrible
2: analogy.
3: <laughs> I need to ask to uh, answer. I a question in the back here, to be fair. Yes?
2: I'm a big fan of yours. I've learned so much from your podcast. I listened to them, I can probably tell you half of what you said. And one of the interesting things to me is about um, the art of performance, in that a lot of your experiments are done on young male athletes. The statistics in this country right now are the rumors are going to take over. And they just came out that more men are going to die earlier, so you're going to be left with all these old women in the keto world, and we have no direction. We're running into metabolism, we're running into thyroid issues. So what's the studies, what's the future of this that would give us some direction? <laughs>
3: What's the stock market going to be? I actually <laughs> pay this person to ask the question
2: <laughs>
3: because, uh, as I mentioned, my my focus right now is is type two diabetes and metabolic syndrome. But that's half of the adult men and women in the country right now. Mm-hmm. Certainly more than half of, of people over age forty. Um, and as a you know, Jeff Fullick and I have done studies with people with metabolic syndrome and short term studies, many of them young, but some of them in, in middle years of life, um, with very good results. And we decided that we wanted to focus on reversing type 2 diabetes with a well formulated ketogenic diet. And to demonstrate that we could do that, um, we I would say we recruited some investors to help us start a company, but actually they came to us and said, You idiots, you got to get a company started to do this. And we didn't resist too much. Uh, and right now we're running a 500 person study in rural Indiana. Um, so in the American heartland, we recruited uh, 500 people, uh, most of whom have type 2 diabetes, but a, a uh, a, a relatively smaller percentage, I think it's two-thirds pe- diabetes and one-third metabolic syndrome. Men and women, um, because we're a startup and we're practicing outside the standard of medical care, uh, we limited the age to 65, so I couldn't get into my own study if I wanted to. Um, because if somebody dies while we're doing this, this study, it would be um, a legally a major issue for, for us as a startup company. Uh, but we're running a two-year study to demonstrate that we can actually uh, reverse type two diabetes. Um, we're one. We, everybody's past the one-year time point right now. We've already packed, uh, published our 10-week data. Actually, well, we haven't put it. We haven't cured it. We haven't put it in remission. I mean, this is wordsmithing, but we have already reversed it. And our focus is on metabolic health, not on weight loss. Our focus is getting off most of their drugs, which we do. Uh, with marked improvement in blood glucose control. But as a side effect of this, the, the mean weight loss was uh, a little over 7% just in the first <coughs> 10 weeks. And we're doing that by having people eat to satiety. We don't have them count calories, they limit carbs and they eat their, you know, we guide them to eat protein in moderation. The way we do this is each person gets a personal coach available to them online some of them are getting much of their education in person in groups like this, and the the rest, the other half of them are getting their education and their interaction with their coach through a, a, a notebook or a laptop or a desktop or a phone. Uh, so we're proving that we can do this in virtual mode. Um, and you know, I'd like to come back in a year and tell you how, you know, what we've done in the uh, yeah, with at the two-year time point, uh, and I, you know, we, we're going to be publishing the one-year data, we hope, later this year. Getting this kind of data published is hard, because we're doing something that most people consider impossible. But, you know, diabetes is known to be a chronic, progressive disease, and if you treat it really aggressively and carefully, you can slow its progression. That's what we're told. And our, our expectation is that we're going to actually, um, get yeah, more than half the people who enrolled in our program into a quote, non-diabetic state that is non- a non-diabetic blood sugar levels without any medication other than this one medication called metformin, which we really can't take people off because it turns out metformin isn't just a, a modestly effective diabetes drug in, in animals. It actually expends, <laughs> extends lifespan through the same process called mTOR, modification of mTOR. But the point is that we are uh, using investor money to fund a study that, if we'd gone to the NIH and, and asked for a grant to do this, would have cost somewhere in the 5 to $10 million range. Um, uh, and we uh, have our fingers crossed, uh, think we're going to be able to demonstrate that we can do as good a job in managing diabetes without drugs and without surgery, as good a job as you can do with. with um, uh, 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 weight loss, you know, bariatric surgery. That's our target. So we're taking on a bunch of surgeons, and we're going to make them unhappy, and we're hoping to make insurance companies and employers and people very happy. Uh, so yes, we're, we're trying to do this. Uh, and as I mentioned, that I think previously, it took me 40 years of trying to figure out how to get to the point that we can do a study like this. Um, and, you know, we're... I'm going to try to make it happen. And if you want to know what's happening at one year, I can't tell you because then we'd have trouble publishing it if somebody here is running and recording. So if you don't have any cameras, just, I'll smile. And we're very pleased with, with how things are going at the one-year checkpoint.
0: Coming up next time on the Livin' La Vila Low Carb Show, we'll have a second Q&A workshop featuring Dr. Stephen Finney. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveandlowcarbshow.com.
2: And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time.
0: Disc. Disc.